Presidential Medal of Freedom. Each week, we talk about the people who've received it, offer suggestions on who we think should receive it, and occasionally we discover people who should not have received it. I'm Brian Tuft. I'm Christine Sear. And I'm Clay Russell. Guys, how was your week? All right. I feel like it was less drama than last week, right? Am I the drama? Are you the villain? Yeah. No, well, I don't know that I'd call it drama. There was excitement, which I'm sure we're going to talk about. Did everybody see the great news that on Thursday, we got a new Supreme Court justice, guys? We did. I mean, I I don't think there was a ton of suspense that she would be confirmed. I was pleasantly surprised that a couple of Republicans voted for her, honestly. Well, it's funny because I felt that she was essentially steamrolling to it. Even like the Republican, you know, discourse about why she shouldn't be confirmed seemed very like half-hearted. They (laughs) they really weren't putting their whole into it. um, Their whole what, (laughs) Brian? Hearts? (laughs) No, just like they weren't wholly doing it. It it seemed like they were playing it by ear. Brian, they had a cocaine and orgy party the (laughs) night before. They were worn out. Exhausted. It just happens. The confirmation process, I think the United States should get used to it going this way in the future. But we should absolutely give Justice Jackson a lot of credit for how she worked that and how she didn't necessarily give them an inch and stood firm. And she deserves a lot of credit for that confirmation hearing, not going completely off the rails. Like a lot of the Trump appointees did. There are no memes. There's just this gorgeous picture of her daughter looking like so proud of her in the background. That's the lasting image from those hearings, not her bursting into tears or showing that she didn't prepare for the, hearings and like it was just such a solid like there wasn't even anything to joke about because it was like no she just like she's an effing professional and that's the kind of person we want on the court the days of Thurgood Marshall are gone where you're going to get a 70 80 percent vote for confirmation we're gonna have to get used to this that being said it was a really well-run campaign by the Democrats agreed Yeah, because I felt that it was kind of a done deal, I did try to make it exciting by trying to predict how many Republicans we would get. And I'm very happy to say that I did have a prediction that it was going to be 5347. No, you did not. I swear to God. I'm sure you have a text chain somewhere (laughs) you can, like, screenshot for me. But Who were the three again? Murkowski, uh, Collins, Romney? Yes. Okay. The ones that, like, every once in a while are like, you know what? (laughs) I'm going to throw you guys a bone. Yeah, Mitt Romney had, you know, an interesting week. I think he had, like, talked about people are overpaid and he wants to, like, completely dismantle all labor unions and then was like, but I want this lady on the Supreme Court. So you can't get mad at me. Tough week for Mittens. Hmm. Another tough week. Will Smith, the news Mm. broke today, just moments before we started recording, that the Academy has decided to ban him for 10 years following the incident where he slapped Chris Rock two weeks ago. It feels like another lifetime. That's how long this discourse has been going on. Yeah, we've been through like three rounds of like backlash. And I mean, to me, that feels appropriate. I mean, it's interesting because he's no longer a member of the Academy, correct? Because he resigned. Correct. But then you can go to the Oscars even if you're not a member of the Academy. So he solved a lot of the Academy's problems for them by resigning. But there was still that lingering issue of like, is he going to be there next year? Because a lot of times the previous winners like show up at the ceremony to present or what have you. And they were just like, not only are you not coming next year. And gosh, can you imagine where the discourse will be in 10 years? I mean, it'll probably... If there still is an Oscars, if there's still an America... No one's going to really remember or care that much. And it's interesting because he is not even welcome if he's nominated. So if he nom- if he's nominated for another Oscar in the next decade or wins one, 
he's not he's not permitted. And there's a movie uh, called Emancipation that he made about an escaped slave that Apple TV is apparently going to be launching. It's like a hundred million dollar budget. Yeah, it feels very much like uh like that was supposed to be the victory lap Oscar nomination. You know, Olivia Coleman, where he was supposed to like win this year, be nominated next year, and it be a thing like, is he going to go two for two like Tom Hanks? And to me, like, I mean, this is somebody who every 10 years he does give us like an Oscar caliber performance. So, I mean, maybe mm-hmm. he'll maybe he'll be right on schedule in 2032 <laughs> when the ban is lifted. Yeah. What asshole father is he going to depict in 2032? <laughs> don't you feel a little relieved that it's just like we don't have to discuss anymore? <laughs> Whether he's going, whether he should go, how are they going to handle X, Y, Z. Like, it kind of feels like between his resignation and being banned for 10 years, like, there's nothing really left to talk about. Which means that the Oscars did their job. Because if it was anything less than that, it would show that they condoned that type of behavior. But they did the right thing. So I think so, too. uh, Just like the Katanji Brown-Jackson hearings, I think that it was well, well done the way that they handled that. Well, we've talked about two things that were well handled. And uh, just to wrap up our introduction, the news story that I am the most obsessed with today <laughs> that really shows that some people just don't know anything about anything. A little website called The Federalist posted a story today on Friday, April 8th. Cancel your Disney vacation and go to Dollywood instead. Right. And Joy Pullman, uh, the writer, talks about the surprise delight of going to Dollywood while she was in Tennessee visiting family. And my favorite part of it is, by contrast, Walt Disney World in Florida and Disneyland in California have long been on our over-my-dead-body list. And with Dollywood as an option, they will certainly stay there. It's not the recent visibility of the long-standing fact that Disney's post-Walt corporate leadership works to undermine sexual wholeness, but also about the greedy commercialization of the Disney brand. <laughs> um, And this is in response to the fact that Disney has finally come out and taken some stand against the don't say gay bill in Florida. And the contrast that she is offering is a theme park in Tennessee that is run by Dolly Parton, a woman who is a gay icon, has supported the LGBTQ plus community for decades and essentially, I don't think that this is an insult to Dolly. I think she would actually describe herself this way. Essentially looks like a drag queen, like with the big wigs and the, you know, bejeweled outfits. There has to be some other option for them because, I mean, this is just not it. It's it's not, <laughs> this is not the haven from the homosexual agenda that you think it is, Joy. I'm I'm very sorry to tell you. The fact that this was published in a publication that I've heard of is insane to me that this got past the editors. If it was someone's crazy ranting on an email chain, I could understand that. But the lack of awareness in this article is stunning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I know Dolly Parton is very famous for she doesn't take a political stand. Uh, she's even unsure if she'll accept the Presidential Medal of Freedom because she turned it down from Trump twice. And she doesn't want to make it seem like she's pro one president, anti another. But she does come out and, and speak about what her beliefs are when they're important. So I have a feeling that she's going to have to, like, you know, put something out and let Joy know, like, no, I love gay people. <laughs> I'm very sorry. I have a, I have like a gay, you know, day at my theme park. Sure, she's not overt political in the sense of picking a party, but, I mean, she said Black Lives Matter. Yeah, she said, like, she said gay many, many, many times, and I'm sure we'll say it many more. Also, just to tie a bow on this and bring awards and Oscars back uh, into this part of it, the last time Dolly Parton was nominated for an Oscar, she wrote a song called Traveling Through for the movie Trans America. This is not a woman who's like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm not, get- I'm not getting involved in that. Right. <laughs> yeah. I just double-checked the publication date to see if it was April 1st, but no, it's April mm. 8th. This is, this is real. This is not it's a joke. Real. No, she's a week late, but she's still an April Fool, our friend Joy. <laughs> Zap. <laughs> Roasted. Okay, uh, we will be back after a little break. Uh, and Clay is going to walk us through a recipient profile on Ted Williams. Stay tuned. 
Have you seen a photo of him? No. Um, it's on the show notes, Brian. Wait a minute. No, I was just hoping. I was hoping oh. that Clay was gonna. I was gonna trap Clay into something. Oh. I will say as a little spoiler to it. Uh, they were careful to hide his minority status because he is half Mexican. Spoiler alert. Yep. He's hot. I'm just, like, before we get started, um, just for our readers, before you Google, um, Google and search, he's got, he's got quite a smolder. Right? Yeah. <laughs> the best things in life are half Mexican, like Tex-Mex. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, that was a good joke. <laughs> I am here. We are recording. I'm going to publicly admit that that was a good joke. Thank you. This week marks the 146th opening day of Major League Baseball, so I figure why not do a profile on an athlete? I'm going to try to keep it to the basics of baseball because I don't want Christine to start snoring in the middle of the segment. It's tough to edit around that. Mm. So uh, this person has a very fascinating life. Even off the field, I am talking about Theodore Samuel Williams, a.k.a. Ted Williams, a.k.a. Teddy Ballgame, a.k.a. The Kid, a.k.a. The Splendid Splinter, a.k.a. The Thumper. Okay. He uh, was around from the 1940s to the late 1950s and is considered one of the greatest batters of all time. He played his entire career for the Boston Red Sox. He is known for bringing an intellectualism to the game that is still around to this day. I think that he may even be a precursor of Moneyball. Again, Christine, you don't have Mm. to watch baseball to know Moneyball. Just watch the Brad Pitt movie. Brad Pitt is in it. Jonah Hill's in it. I've heard of Moneyball. Okay. So Theodore Samuel Williams, born... In 1918, on August 30th, was named after Teddy Roosevelt, uh, as well as his father, Samuel Stewart Williams. And his father was white. His mother is a Mexican-American. This was something that, due to baseball's racism at the time when he was drafted, remember that when he did start in 1941, that there were no African-Americans allowed in the league before Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier. So... His Mexican heritage was very much a uh, tightly kept secret, uh, even though that he was proud of that. The Boston Red Sox in baseball hid that until years later. He uh, learned to play baseball from his uncle on his mother's side, who actually was a pitcher and pitched against Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig. And uh, he entered the minor leagues. Immediately, he stood out due to uh, his batting prowess that he had. You will later find out that he was the last baseball player to hit a 400 batting average. Just to put that into context for people that aren't baseball fans, the average baseball player nowadays, if they get on base 25% of the time, so one out of every four at bats, that's considered average. Ted Williams, amazingly, was on base 482% of the time due to walks as well as his base hit. So a pretty incredible difference between the two to show how good he was. He was considered one of the three greatest hitters in the 146 years of baseball, along with Babe Ruth and Barry Bonds. But we're not counting Barry Bonds because for a lot of that time, he was hopped up on steroids and other stuff. There you go. Mm Mm-hmm. Anyway, he went on to go through the minor league system. A early scout said, and this is as folksy as it gets. I'm kind of surprised I didn't have Brian and Christine do this for the face-off. He said, quote, It wasn't hard to find Ted Williams. He stood out like a brown cow in a field of white cows. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Right? Whenever the opening scene in Moneyball, when you see all the uh, old... Have you ever seen the movie, Christine? No. So it has a bunch of old school baseball scouts there. And one of them, they didn't have statistics at all. One of them went, the guy just screams of confidence, all right? Like he walks into a room and his dick has already been there for 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. Old-timey baseball guys are the best, (laughs) apparently. 
he got to Boston and pretty much exploded. Instantly was good. Some of the statistics that we have, and again, I'm going to keep the baseball statistics to a minimum because I don't want Christine to fall asleep. But by the time he retired, he was third all-time in home runs behind Babe Ruth and Jimmy Fox, seventh all-time in runs batted in, was seventh all-time in batting average. But again, he was the last batter in baseball to bat at 400. And his 1941 season is considered one of the best hitting seasons of all time. That was the season that he did bat 406, which was the last player to bat over that in the record. Now, what gets to be interesting with him is that he was known to be a very supportive teammate. Uh, No one really ever had anything bad to say about that, but he was famous for being very surly around people outside of baseball, especially uh, reporters and especially fans. He had a notoriously difficult relationship with the Boston Red Sox fans Brian, I think you'll appreciate this, that any time he would commit an error on the field and the Boston Red Sox fans would boo him, he would curtsy to each side of Fenway Park and then flip them off. Yeah, I'm a big fan of athletes like booing back, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which he was very good at. Especially Boston fans, you know? A sarcastic curtsy? It doesn't get much better than that. Oh, like, and he took his time and curtsied to all four sides of Fenway Park as well. (laughs) You wish that they had more cameras back then at the games, because it would have been incredible to see that. So in the middle of his career, of course, was World War II. And while other baseball players would leave their high-paying jobs to uh, enlist in the Army and the Navy, Usually a lot of that was almost a symbolic effort where they would, you know, sit around and sign baseballs and and play in celebrity baseball games to boost morale and all that. Not Ted Williams. Ted Williams actually enlisted as a fighter pilot, incredibly. Mm. He uh, actually set records for how he would operate the machine gun due to his hand-eye coordination and was actually a pretty huge asset during the war. He gave up, between World War II and the Korean War, he gave up five years of his baseball-playing career in his prime after his 400 season. So he would have probably broken even more records if he didn't uh, pause pause his his time in baseball by those four or those five years. Uh, an interesting thing that that I didn't know about until the research is that his co-pilot in the Korean War was John Glenn, the American astronaut who was the first American to orbit the Earth. And a fellow medal winner, am I right? Yeah, exactly. And again, put aside his greatest or one of the greatest hitters of all time, just his military career alone is pretty incredible. He reached, again, someone who was a celebrity baseball player, reached the rank of captain in the Navy, Uh, with their air division, got a gold star, was actually shot down during the Korean War by the North Koreans uh, and managed to to bring the the plane back over to the friendly side. Just an incredible life when you look at all of this. Yeah. And honestly, like, is it me or I feel like the biggest stars in baseball, like the Babe Ruths of the world are like household names. I don't know that I feel like Ted Williams is a household name. Still. Because he had such a contentious relationship with the media. Oh, he wasn't as, like, beloved. Yeah. He didn't yeah. play the game. He didn't play that and game. He's truly a complicated person. This is someone who was described as he was such a lone wolf. Even he was known to not necessarily concentrate on his fielding skills. He would only focus on batting. And, again, he brought an intellectual side to it where he would study different pitchers, keep notes on all of that, interview other players and would interview older players to get their their facts right, would focus on his swing, all the mechanics, all of that stuff. But, you know, had no time for fans, no time for the media. <laughs> I, it sounds like he's the kind of guy who would have excelled at anything he set his mind to. Like if baseball hadn't been it, Or, Mm -hmm. you know, if he hadn't taken this detour into the military, like, say he was like, like, I'm kind of scared to think about what he could have been like as 
a celebrity. Yeah. Because he's he's a good looking guy. You look at the photos and absolutely. Oh, I'm looking. Yeah. Yeah. I'm liking what I'm seeing. <laughs> they described his politics as, quote, to the right of Attila the Hun. But he actually stood up for civil rights. He was one of the people to push for Jackie Robinson. Civil rights and human rights he stood up for. It was just that lone wolf, I'm only, you Um. know, I'm on my own, I'm on the prairie. He, uh, in his Hall of Fame induction speech, was the first person to publicly say that the Negro League player should be inducted as well. Like this isn't your your right leaning guy. <laughs> exactly. Very yeah. interesting career. Yeah. Mm. Again, nicest teammate. Obviously, you would want to literally fight behind him in a war. But anyone outside of his immediate circle, he did not care for. Very mm. interesting. He said, "No new friends." <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Accepting no new friends. <laughs> Another part of pettiness that you're going to love, Brian, is that anytime he would hit a home run, it's traditional for players to tip the hat, you know, walk out of the the dugout, do that. No matter what, even in the middle of his 406 batting average season, never tipped his hat to Boston fans. (laughs) Fast forward to his very last at bat of his career at Fenway Park, blasts a home run in his last game circles the bases and runs straight into the dugout and is never seen again. (laughs) Oh my God. He might be the new patron saint of the pod. (laughs) Wow. He was like, not even the last time I'm, I'm staying who I've always been. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Wait. So how old was he by the time he was playing his last game? Uh, 1960 was his last game. Oh yeah. So late thirties. The home run was September 28th, 1960. So he had a 19-year career. Wow. But lost five of that from being in a fighter plane. Which arguably, I mean, the real prize is the John Glenn friendship he made along the way. When he uh, was shot by the North Koreans, he landed his plane. It's called a belly landing where his landing gear went out and landed on the belly of the plane. Did he then curtsy and give the middle finger to the Koreans? (laughs) To the North Koreans, that's right. In my head, that's what he did, yeah. And again, just to show this wasn't a fluke, Ted Williams, the best batter of the 1940s and 50s, flew in 39 combat missions. Damn. I keep being, like, impressed, but also scared of him. Is that the right? Is that the right vibe? Okay. Oh, absolutely. And uh, he actually uh, became a uh, manager in his retirement. Uh, Fun fact for the Texas people out there, he was the very first manager of the Texas Rangers. But he did not last long because he had no respect for pitchers. (laughs) (laughs) I like that he has like certain takes where he's just like, I'm not talking to the fans, I'm not talking to the media, and I'm not talking to pitchers. And like, fuck Boston. (laughs) Yeah, I have no respect for them. If you're a hitter, great. He had a very short list of enemies, but it was it was written in pen. <laughs> he was either your best friend or he wished you dead. No in between. That is very something that Brian aspires to. Uh, yeah, that's he's goals. <laughs> Wait, and he's is he an Aries? Hang on. <laughs> no, August. What's that? Uh, probably a Leo. Mm, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. it yeah. tracks. All right, guys, now that you have the info, let's have ourselves a face-off. Let's do it. I provided a link in the notes. This is a uh, Sports Illustrated article written August 21st, 1967. I think Brian is a more recent winner. Oh, Clay, do you have any notes for us? Do you want us to just go nuts? I'm thinking it should either be very gritty narrative or it should be very old-timey baseball. There was a pound of the shuffling on the three of us. So, you know what? Yeah, I want you guys to decide, old-timey voice or what Ted Williams would have sounded like. Okay. The kids said it was about time we showed up. It was 5.15 in the morning. The sun had not yet begun its assault on the Florida Keys. By 10 o'clock, it would be 85 degrees, and Charlie Trainer, the photographer, would have his freckles double-coated with a petroleum compound made for World War II aviators marooned at sea. The kid had bacon, a good two pounds of bacon, bubbling and spitting in twin skillets on the stove, and the coffee was hot. 
All right, he said, get the hell out of the road. <laughs> that was really fun. Thanks. I don't even care if I win. That was a blast. He had on the red Bermuda shorts I came to think of as his home uniform in Ismarada, and a faded red shirt that had a few character holes in it. He wore Sears Roebuck tennis shoes without socks, and his copper-brown calves stuck out prominently from the tails of the Bermudas. In 1938, when he was 19 years old and a pitcher outfielder in San Diego, he was just starting as a professional ball player, 6'3 and weighed 168 pounds. Eventually, when he had been exposed to the major league regiments, he got up to 200 pounds, but it was still appropriate to call him the Splinter. The Splendid Splinter, to be sure. (laughs) I gotta say, there was like an eroticism to Brian's reading. (laughs) I literally was fanning myself. Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I was like, I want, the, I want the most homoerotic <laughs> part of this article. Like, I want it to be that you think they're going to fuck at this, you know, you're not going up there to fish. <laughs> I mean, the, the minute details about how his calves popped out of his Bermuda shorts was... <laughs> <laughs> That's me bringing the gay agenda to everything. Even yeah, baseball. well done. Well done. <laughs> this was supposed to be a glowing holography of Ted Williams, and Brian Tuff turned it into erotic fan fiction. Oh, yeah. Swing that bat. <laughs> so he hit his final home run in 1960, rounded the bases, acknowledged no one, went to the dugout, spent a couple years as a manager. He passed away on July 5th, 2002. You would think that that's where the story ends. Ladies and gentlemen, it does not. (gasps) He came back to life? Sticking with (laughs) his vibe, he also was an atheist because he hated God. Sure. (laughs) And uh, through the wishes of his will, through his children, Ted Williams' body is cryogenically frozen. No. And is being kept in stasis should technology ever come around to bring him back to life. Shut up. Where is it? Can we visit? Is it like Stalin and we can like walk around? Let me let me find out here. I'm sorry. I'm asking all the tough questions. In my mind, it's like uh, the Arnold Schwarzenegger, Mr. Freeze Batman movie where he's just like in a tank and it's like inside a refrigerator. Yeah. Or like Han Solo. Arnold Schwarzenegger is there. It's him frozen in place, giving the double middle finger to everybody. Hat firmly on. Yes. But even the people that he was never alive to meet, he's still like flipping everybody off. Just remember that. It's like, I'm sure I wouldn't like you. (sighs) Wow. Ted Williams, fun one, was awarded the Medal of Freedom on November 18th in 1991 by George H.W. Bush. George H.W. Bush actually played baseball in Yale, so he definitely knew of Ted Williams, to say the least. This was full of twists and turns, and I come out of it liking him, because he just seems like a cranky motherfucker who was really good at his job. like, cared for individual people, especially when it came to African Americans and minorities, but hated, like, groups of people. Very complicated person. Mm, mm-hmm. Relatable. For somebody who loves like celebrities and cultural figures and famously does not really like sports, I have to say like Hollywood could take a page from sports because the people who are the true characters of sports, like Mr. Williams, are insane yeah. characters. Yeah. The idea that he had all of these like, oh, I don't like these people. I'm not signing autographs. I'm not doing this. It's just... That's a fascinating person. And, yeah. you know, I think, like, when people are kind of building their own myths in in Hollywood or, you know, like, book publishing, like, there's too much, I want to be relatable, I want to be down to earth. Like, no, I want you to be like, oh, when I walk into the locker room, I don't speak to the pitchers. Like, that's totally. the kind of shit yeah. I want. <laughs> I will literally tank the second <laughs> act of my career as a coach just because I won't f***ing talk to them. Yeah, that's the assistant coach's job. <laughs> <laughs> Love yeah, it. who who Love would it. he be today? Mm-hmm. On one hand, I'm thinking of people that did bring almost a mathematical precision to their job. On the other hand, someone who, uh, 
you would on paper describe as extreme right, but also had that part of not really hating individuals because he was very much for individual liberty. That's a tough one. Yeah. Because who who around today, especially with, with politicians, like you would think on paper that fucking Rand Paul would be very much for gay rights and civil rights and all of that because he describes himself as a quote-unquote libertarian, but he's not. He's not. I'm at a loss for this one. I mean, something that came to mind is like someone who's really good at what they do, but publicity avert, like a J.D. Salinger, somebody where like, just read my books and don't fucking talk to me. But that doesn't really encompass... Like you're saying, all of the like really interesting combination of characteristics that Ted Williams had. And we're completely leaving out his military career, too. How, how he had this second life flying with future astronauts. And yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, we talked about her earlier, but you know who else is also very press averse and doesn't like to give interviews, has no time for the media and fans? Joni Mitchell. Joni Mitchell? <laughs> The idea that she was at the Grammys, people's jaws were on the floor when she walked out there with Bonnie Raitt. Yeah. And I mean, this person isn't modern, but the other person who this reminded me of was Greta Garbo, who was somebody who was like, I'm making my movies, I'm going home, and I don't want to be spoken to. <laughs> but yeah, I would I would say, honestly, there isn't any one person that's coming to mind. I mean, I think this Ted Williams is pretty one of a kind. Mm-hmm. Also, I love that you asked me, who would this person be today? And I was like, a movie star from the 1940s and a singer-songwriter from the 60s. Yes. <laughs> Naturally. Well, I think the current version of celebrity of any kind, like show business or athletes or politicians, like, don't generally have the option anymore of not engaging with the public. Or not that I'm comparing her directly to him, but when you have like a Naomi Osaka moment where she's just like... Mm-hmm. No, I'm not going to do this part of the job. I just want to do this part of the job. Like it's gets a lot of negative reaction from people. That's actually a really great choice because she has this side of her that promotes mental health and all the other outside of tennis aspects that she has. And again, has no time for the press. Mm-hmm. I don't think certainly her career is nowhere near as impressive or long as his to like mm-hmm. make it a charming aspect. I think maybe that's why there's been some backlash with her is that maybe people feel she's like so new to the game. It's like, you can't already be over it, you know, whereas right. could you imagine Ted Williams lasting a year with today's modern oh media my God. and the 15 different angles of him curtsying on all four sides before flipping off the fans. Yeah, I don't. I I think that separation of like private life and public life is like an. And clearly, uh, we were talking about Will Smith earlier. Like it, to this day, even some of the biggest stars in the world don't always know how to handle it. So hats off to Ted Williams for just drawing the line. Like I assume he had a personal life. I mean, we didn't even talk about it because it's like boring. It's like I guess he had some kids. I assume. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, had some kids. Uh, I think one of them is frozen in stasis with him. Shut (gasps) up. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Wait, okay, because I was thinking I want like a green burial where you you, like plant a tree in my open grave or whatever. But Mm -hmm. like I might change my will to say freeze me next to the Williams family because, (laughs) you know, whatever the new world order is going to be with Ted Williams in charge, like I want to be there. He would get you out of a tough spot. Right. Yeah, zombie Ted Williams. Like, bar fight, but also, like, apocalyptic war zone. Like, that's my guy, you know? hmm yeah. And, like, I want people, like, you know, this this guy not being nice to the media, not interacting with fans, not being into it, not tipping his hat. Like, I love that he was this kind of thorny figure, but then when it, like, push came to shove and it was, like, you know, time to talk about segregation in baseball like he put his money where his mouth is and said the right thing yeah you know that's like the end of like every aaron sorkin movie where like that one asshole does one really nice thing and the music swells Mm -hmm. those are the kind of people i want in real life Mm -hmm. yeah an anti-hero we love an anti-hero there are stories of him he gave a lot to cancer charities and would show up and talk to kids and then obviously would not invite the press. And then when it was time for the families to check the kids out, they would say, Mr. Williams took care of the bill. 
Oh wow. my God. Okay. So I have a friend, one of my good friends that I grew up with is a doctor at the children's hospital in LA. And so it's a very popular place for like celebrities to come see sick kids. Cause it's like, you know, who wants to commute to go see a sick kid or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he was like, it's very interesting to notice who gets publicity and who doesn't when they come to see the kids. He's like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of celebrities, you know, of all kinds, again, like sports, um, show business, music, whatever, who just quietly come and do it and they make the kids really happy and they leave and you never hear about it. So God, Ted Williams. All right. You're yeah. all right, Teddy. The kid is all right. Yeah. It says he was one of the people that launched the Jimmy fund of the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, and it has raised $750 million. Wow. Yeah. But again, just like, did not want any press. Again, short list of enemies, and <laughs> he wasn't he wasn't editing that list, except maybe to add... Yeah, you know. he was only adding people. He wasn't taking anyone off. <laughs> right. Maybe his frozen corpse is at the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. We don't know. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that all that money is just keeping him frozen. Yeah. <laughs> Well, this was a very inspiring profile. I'm ready to go to a baseball game if you are. Yeah. The Staten Island Ferry Hawks are starting, I believe, at the end of May. So I'm just waiting for the invite from Christine to take us to Staten Island. All right. I love that you picked the most obscure New York baseball team. We could just go to the Metropolitans. No, he likes it because it's on the north end of Staten Island. And it has this, like, awesome view of Manhattan. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You're going to love it. Do we have to take the boat? Uh-huh. It's right next to the ferry. Okay. Yeah, you're right. It's not a glamorous ride on the 7 train <laughs> like to City Field, right? <laughs> wow. Which I just called Shea Stadium because I'm 100 years old. You know what? Call it Shea Stadium. Fuck Citibank. If I'm going to Staten Island on the ferry, I'm dressing like Joan Cusack in Working Girl. <laughs> Deal. Fair. Yeah. <laughs> When we come back, our medals of the week. All right, guys. I feel like nothing's going to top Ted Williams because that was fascinating. But let's do our medals of the week. This is uh, anyone that tickled our fancy this week, either in a good way or a bad way. Brian, you want to go first? Yeah. My medal of the week is going to Lady Gaga. She's one of the biggest pop stars in the world. We know she's an acclaimed musician, actress, performer, songwriter. But over the last two weeks, the last Sunday was the Grammys, and the Sunday before that was the Academy Awards. At both of those, Lady Gaga reminded us once again that she is our preeminent elder care representative. Um, (laughs) When she presented Best Picture at the Oscars with Liza Minnelli, Liza Minnelli was struggling, and Lady Gaga, not realizing that they hadn't cut to the nominees yet, grabbed her hand and said, I got you. And Liza Minnelli, heartbreakingly, turns to her and goes, I know. And last week, um, Tony Bennett at 95 years old, who I feel like if he has a medal, we should talk about him. He's Queens native, but he's suffering from Alzheimer's. He is retired from public uh, life. And Lady Gaga performed a song that they recorded together and dedicated it to him. And they picked up two trophies that night. And there was a really nice photo of him at 95 years old holding his Grammy that he had just received. Um, So, you know, shout out to Lady Gaga. If I had any living grandparents, I would want Lady Gaga to take care of them. Oh, my God. Me, too. Yeah. (laughs) No medal for Tony Bennett. Get on it, Joe. Yeah. That would be a nice (laughs) last public appearance for him it would yeah i think it it would really depend on him because i i did see i don't know if she said it at the grammys or the oscars but she did say uh there's a upcoming concert documentary about lady gaga and tony bennett and the radio city shows yeah yeah she said that behind backstage he didn't know who she was And then he walked out and it was like he was back and he knew every word to every song, but truly could not place her. Yeah, I showed it to to Christine. The 60 minute profile, uh, 60 minutes profile was genuinely touching. Well, and there's also I watched this documentary about either specifically Alzheimer's or dementia. And there's something about music that cuts through (laughs) dementia in some ways where they often will play like 
music or there's this woman who is a dance. I've seen this video online. There's this woman who is like a dancer and mm-hmm. they played some classical music. She's she was a ballet dancer and she started like doing the motion. There's something like magic about music that seems to like resonate with people even if they can't remember like what they had for breakfast that day. It's crazy. Also, I love that we've never discussed that video and I was going to bring it up and you have fallen down the same rabbit hole that I have and ended up seeing that video. <laughs> oh my god, twinsies. <laughs> yeah, as a musician and just someone who has always really been moved by music just to echo last week's episode the scene that got me the most in coda is when the guy and the girl do the duet of the marvin gay tammy terrell song and for the first time in the movie they cut to the father's perspective of him staring at people having an emotional reaction to the music and knowing that he'll never be able to feel that There was something just devastating about that scene. And yeah, just when you see Tony Bennett, who has full on dementia and Alzheimer's now, just come alive and completely lock into the music. There's something magical about that. You can't scientifically describe that. It's it's just purely love that you're seeing. Lady Gaga, thank you for all your work for our aging icons. Mm. Who would have thought me forgetting to pick a medal of the week would lead to such a... uh, An emotional discussion. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Love it. You know who I bet didn't listen to music? Ted f***ing Williams. I don't have time for this. He's not taking care of old people either. Don't ask him. (laughs) Brian, I feel like it's when you go to a restaurant and, like, you don't decide what you're going to get. You just, like, panic order when the waiter's (laughs) there. And sometimes you get, like, the most amazing meals. So... Maybe maybe I should wing it once in a while. I never wing it. Who am I kidding? If you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. (laughs) Clay, who's your medal of the week? Mine is just to reiterate, congratulations to Justice Katanji Brown-Jackson. Yeah. This is going to be the last good news that we hear coming out of the Supreme Court for the rest of the year. I guarantee it not to get too dark about what is coming ahead in terms of abortion and affirmative action and everything like that. But it absolutely is a step in the right direction. It is not going to make any difference in terms of the makeup of the court right now, Mm -hmm. but it might be laying the groundwork again to represent the populace of the United States in the future, as opposed to a white conservative vision that has completely overtaken the court well and she's young right what is she like 50 mm-hmm. so she's got she's got time to make some some moves and then I, I also saw the graphic now like showing all of their faces and it's for the first time the majority of the court is not white men and it's half women now which is mm-hmm. the first time how about when there are nine guys when there are nine We'll take the wins where we could get them. And I agree with you. Like, we needed this, but it's also, like, to me, a little overshadowed by, like, dread for what's coming because it still is an overwhelmingly conservative court. And the decisions that have already been made that haven't been announced yet. (laughs) As an optimist, I'm going to say somebody else could retire or a vacancy could happen. I'm not going to say the D word. I'm not going to be doxxed by Fox News. But, I mean, (laughs) you never know. Biden could get a second seat. And I could see my dream of Zendaya on the Supreme Court. I mean, she's so versatile. There's nothing (laughs) she can't do. All right. Well, mine is, I don't know if everyone's going to know his name, but you should. His name is Chris Smalls. He was the leader of the Amazon Union effort, which was successful. Yeah. He, in addition to like winning, which we all love a winner around here. He also just seems like an awesome guy. So this is based on a Washington Post article about him in one of his statements that he made during his organizing efforts he said unionizing amazon is not on my agenda i just wanted to help inspire others to organize and and demand that amazon do better the same week that he made that statement there was a leaked email from like the amazon legal team attempting to portray him as not smart or articulate to which smalls later said they tried to demonize our character but it didn't work and he basically like lived out of a van not a literal van i think it was an suv and was just like Going around organizing, spending all day. Amazon spent $4.3 million last year on the anti-union effort, like various consultants and whatnot. 
and they still won. And I don't have the quote in front of me, but he, he also delightfully said that he wanted to thank Jeff Bezos for going to space because while he was up there, they unionized Amazon. So my med- actually, and his second banana, who's also his best friend, Derek Palmer, was also instrumental in helping Chris organize the Amazon workers. So for that reason, he gets my medal of the week. Actually, unions in general are like having a moment, right? Because there was a big Starbucks mm-hmm. union push, and I feel like there was at least one other one. It feels like Brian mentioned Condé Nast last week. Yes. I feel like, you know, there's like the nostalgia cycle is every 20 years or something. I feel like Gen Z is like, hey, wait, unions are cool. Like, let's do it. I was at the dentist on Wednesday, and as I was waiting, I was looking out the window. I've been going to this dentist for 10 years, and uh, it's on 44th Street. I'm not going to say uh, who I'm talking about here. Or The dentist is great. I love my dentist, Dr. Kim. Shout out to Dr. Kim. But... Secondary medal of the week to Dr. Kim. <laughs> to Dr. <laughs> Kim. Glad to have that on the record. Yes, <laughs> with distinction. <laughs> but I was looking out the window, and... The uh, building across the street, the blinds were up, which I'd never noticed before. And it was a marble hallway with like a bunch of like sculptures and things like that in there. And I turned to the dental hygienist and I said, what is that? And she said, you know, I don't know. They've never rolled up their blinds either. And we Googled it and it was a nameless union. And I think one of the most striking things that I think about with Chris Smalls is that For the first time in a while, a labor union figure looks like a working class worker as opposed to just this legacy person who kind of sequesters themselves in this this union office with the the blinds rolled down constantly. Mm -hmm. And I completely agree, Christine. This is someone who I think is the future of labor organizing. And uh, this was a a huge deal that is going to be written about more and more and that you're going to hear about more and more. So congratulations to to him and and the effort that he put in. I, I read an article that I can't remember the publication, so apologies, but someone said maybe the future of labor organizing isn't necessarily this big Teamsters national effort, but it should be a localized thing with people expressing local issues and working with companies that way. And yeah, I think that that's a really interesting idea. And I think that among other things, like the political backlash to it and whatnot, but one of the things that might've been the downfall of the, the version of unions that's like thrived in the mid fifties and sixties. Yeah. Is it, it turned into just another source of consolidating power. Like Jimmy Hoffa, you know, he was a a head of a union. He wasn't like Mm -hmm. born into a crime boss family, but he like became a crime boss because these, some of these unions got like really corrupt because you became the kingmaker and you became the guy that everybody had to kiss the ring. And clearly that was not the only thing that that sort of undid a lot of unions but it was certainly a a big problem and it's like yeah what if you kind of kept it scrappy and it's just this people like chris smalls who are like i just care like this bothered me and i cared about it and i wanted to encourage other people to fight for better treatment from their employer like it, it sounds pretty simple when a completely reasonable human being makes the case like you're saying, instead of someone who, you know, this union's however many decades old, and once you get to the top, you're like, you act like a, a CEO of a, of a company or something. And that's mm-hmm. not, like, isn't that the problem? Like, the CEOs are the problem, guys. You don't want to become the thing you despise. And just to echo that as well, you keep hearing in the news, especially with older generations of, oh, well, you know, the cops and the firefighters were their pension and the MTA with their pension is going to bankrupt us all. Those pensions didn't bankrupt the government. The government workers agreeing to those those contracts bankrupted the the government. The fact that we need to have actual stronger leaders in terms of these municipal areas to be able to negotiate on good faith and to be very public and upfront about it is also a huge factor that will, I think, bring back confidence in unions that are out there as well. I keep thinking about this, this football stadium in Buffalo and how 
just it's completely getting steamrolled through by Governor Hochul. I think that Hochul's done a good job for the most part, but this is obviously some some pork fat that we're seeing here go through the budget. And yeah, maybe if we localize unions, that will kind of show more media coverage on local issues as opposed to this never-ending, inevitable, conceptual issue that no one is going to have the patience to think about. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm excited to see not just what Chris Smalls kind of does from here, but the the people that he's going to inspire. Like you were saying, like that's someone that any unhappy average worker at some evil corporation (laughs) can be like, oh, if he can do it, I can do it. Instead of looking at some like bureaucratic union and being like, I don't know what this is. Like, how can I make this happen at my company? He's just like... Just do it. Just like... Yeah. Nobody identifies with a guy in the marble hallway. They identify with a guy keeping warm with a trash can fire handing out flyers. Exactly. Speak for yourself. (laughs) Brian's like, I want the marble hallway and I want it now. The Limbaugh staff is going to unionize for sure. (laughs) Against us. We're going to be the first ones against the wall. (laughs) It's funny because we don't have any employees in case the the listeners don't know that. Yeah. (laughs) Although we should claim them for the tax breaks. <laughs> we let's should. Claim, let's claim our animals. I mean, they're they're vital. They're essential workers. Yeah, you're right. I mean, Finnegan's had more airtime than, like, any of us. Am I wrong? No, True. not at all. I, I'm so sad you said his name because now I feel like he's going to run down the stairs and start barking. <laughs> <laughs> too bad. You're too late. All right. Well, I guess that wraps up the medals of the week miss anything i don't think so follow us on twitter at limbaugh podcast yes definitely do that and um we'll see you guys next week bye see you at the meeting to unionize tesla (laughs) take me out to the ball game Bye.